All right. Um, so I've been a pastor now probably a little bit over 10 years um, and been preaching probably 2006, carry the one, 16 years, over 15 years. Uh, and one of the things that I've learned uh, during this time is, is that when it comes to reading the Bible and talking with people, um, th there's two pitfalls you can fall into. The first one is you, when you read the Bible, when people read the Bible, they can choose to read only at a, a micro individual, individual level. And, and subsequently, by doing so, they ignore like the grand arc or grand story of, of what God is doing in the world. So that's the first way. You read it at a super micro level and just how does this benefit me? and insert myself into everything and make it all about me. The second pitfall though, is to read only at a macro level, uh, uh, only at a big picture level too. And, and then subsequently as a result of that, looking at it from that lens, you neglect the fact that God also acts in personal ways. He acts in the lives of, uh, of real people. And so what I've learned, um, is that a healthy and mature way to read the Bible is to read the Bible through both lenses, looking at it at a macro level, seeing what, what the grand narrative of what God has been up to in the earth that he created back in Genesis 1, um, but also to see God at work in our lives in the midst of what he's doing. So there's this big picture that's going this 30,000 foot level, uh, 30,000 feet level that you can, you know, look at and read the Bible from, but there's also this on the ground level um, that we, sh and we should be holding both those perspectives in, in tension, not forsaking one for the other. And so this morning, we're going to look at a passage where, where I think is a, a, a perfect example where we see both perspectives, both lenses at play, where, where we'll find that God's mercy, and today we're, we're going to be focusing on God's mercy. We'll see where God's mercy brings about great joy for everyone involved. And that leads us to our central truth. Before we even dive into the passage, I want to kind of set the stage, set the tone. And our central truth, your first fill in the blank is this. The mercy of God is greatly demonstrated through the birth of John the Baptist. Real simple. The mercy of God is greatly demonstrated through the birth of John the Baptist. Now, typically during Advent season, um, the focus is usually on the birth of Jesus. And, and rightfully so. Uh, Advent is, is uh, the the where is the season of waiting, waiting on the Messiah to come, waiting on God's anointed one to come. And so, um, what often gets left out is that there's another birth that takes place in um, the Gospel of Luke, and that's the 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 birth of John the Baptist. And these births are happening almost simon, simultaneously; they're like a few months apart. And so, this morning, we wanna we wanna hone in on the the birth of John the Baptist and how, what, what that means for Advent season, what that means in the grand narrative of what God is doing and what that means for us. And so um, this is our next installment as we take the you know, next few months preaching through the gospel of Luke. And so interwoven into the story of the earthly origins of Jesus that, that Luke is recording and he's uh, writing to Theophilus, Luke also records the, the origin story of one of Jesus's relatives, 
who was born shortly before Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open up back to Luke chapter 1. And it should be printed in your uh, bulletin as well. Uh, we're going to read probably like the first half and then we'll save the, la the latter part um, for later. So Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 5. Starting at verse 5. And it says, in the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well along in years. Once, when Zachariah's decision was on duty and he was serving as priest before God because they rotated and took turns, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple. And this is, this is a once-in-a-lifetime deal because there were so many priests and they had to rotate. They, when it came time for your time to go inside the temple to burn incense, you, that was your, you were like one and done. And Zachariah was already old in age, and this time, it wasn't going to come back around to him again. So here, it was his turn to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. For your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. And he, uh, inside of the Lord, he is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from birth. Many other people of Israel will he, will he bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of righteous, of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Skip down to verse 23. So when his time of service uh, was completed, Zechariah returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Incredible passage. Um, before Luke even dives into talking about Jesus, he starts off with another birth of one of Jesus's relatives. And if you were paying close attention or reading closely, two themes permeate this text this morning, and they are mercy and joy. Mercy and joy is mentioned in verse 14 three times, the same word used uh, three different ways. Uh, talk, uh, when the angel Gabriel tells Zechariah about John, he says, he will be a joy and a delight, two, two different words uh, with some nuance there, and many will rejoice because of him. And then uh, later on in the passage in verse um, 58, we read that when Elizabeth uh, has John and she gives birth to John, her neighbors and relatives hear, heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they shared her joy. One could argue that Elizabeth's response in verse 25, and then later on, Zechariah's song or prophecy in verses 68 through 80 are expressions also of joy. So joy plays a huge part of, of what's going on here, and that joy is a direct result of the mercy of God 
on display. The mercy of God, um, easy to, is one of those Christianese words that we just kind of throw around, grace and mercy. But the mercy of God uh, can simply be or concisely be defined as God's kindness toward those in misery. God's kindness shown towards those who are hurting, who are going through it, who are in a miserable state of their lives. And it is also, um, to, to bring in some Old Testament, it's an expression of his covenant loyalty. It's his kindness towards those in misery and a reminder that God does not forget about his people. It's an expression of his covenant loyalty. And so this morning, we want to zero in on, on this theme of mercy in, in this, as seen in the birth of John the Baptist and see and zero in on, on God's mercy on display here. And I want, to, I want to highlight three ways God's mercy is demonstrated in this passage. It says through 57 through 80, but it's everything that I've, um, that I've read. Um, three ways God's mercy, his kindness towards those in misery, his expression of covenant loyalty, three ways is on display. The first one is this. It's, it's, it's on display or it's demonstrated to an individual family, to an individual family. Luke opens up and tells us about this great couple, this great couple who uh, who dedicated their lives to serving God. Zachariah is part of the priesthood, and, um, and, and Elizabeth also um, part of the Le Levitical heritage. And, and, and it says that they were righteous, and they followed God's commandments uh, blamelessly. And so he, he tells us about, but there's a problem with th this awesome couple. They don't have any kids. And for, for all throughout the Bible, we see this common theme of, of women and family and, and men um, who, who aren't able to bear children, what, what that does to, to them and their, their status in society, how that affects them personally. Uh, and so Luke tells us that, that he, here's this, this, this family, they're serving God, they're on fire for God, they're doing everything they're supposed to do. The only problem is they don't have children. And so Zechariah, though, continues to show up. He continues to show up and does what God has called him to do. And, and it just so happened providentially that when it was his time, because God could have showed up anytime to Zechariah, but he chose to show up during a very specific time when, when, when Zechariah would probably feel the most close to God is in service in the temple, where the, where the presence of God resided for them, where, where the altar of incense, where it was the place where heaven and earth met, the place where God dwelled in Jerusalem, in the temple. The, the, and so this once-in-a-lifetime experience, many priests had gone in and out every year, or however often they did it, but Zechariah goes in to do his thing, and an angel shows up. And listen to what the angel tells him right out the gate. He says, don't be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. Now, it's easy uh, because of the previous verse said that all the worshipers were outside and that they were praying. Um, and so it's easy to think, okay, well, you know, he's heard the prayers of the people outside and, and you know, it was their time for prayer and they're praying for the Messiah probably, for God to, to bless them and destroy the Romans probably. Um, but Zacharias says, your prayer has been heard. And in our NIV translation, it's a period. But in the original Greek, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a comma. It says, your prayer has been heard for Elizabeth will bear a son. Here's Zechariah, 
a man who probably at this stage in his life probably hadn't prayed to have a child in a very long time. Luke goes out of his way to tell us that they were very well up in age and Elizabeth was barren. And, and, and in other words, it, wasn't, it probably wasn't going to happen. And they had probably resigned to the fact that it's probably not going to happen for us. And then an angel shows up and he tells Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. The prayer that you prayed long ago, the prayer that you stopped praying, the prayer that you thought wasn't heard, the prayer that you thought you just prayed and it was just whatever and, and it was denial and no, all you heard was no. Your prayer has been heard because God's about to visit you. He's about to show mercy to you by giving you the birth, uh, by giving you a son. So when, when Zechariah, it's interesting, when, Zach, when Gabriel tells Zechariah, your prayer has been heard, the, the, the word here for, for heard is not just um, an audible proce uh, processing of, of uh, information. It's, it's not just, you know, there was a sound that left your lips that went to God's ears and God heard that sound. The, the word here is, uh, it was your, your prayer was taken heed to. Your, your prayer was received with the, with the effect that God is now going to respond. You know, as parents and as a godparent, um, you, you say stuff to kids and you know they hear you because they have, they have ears and they hear the sounds, but sometimes they're not listening. And how do you know they're not listening? Because they don't do what you ask them to do. <laughs> good the kids are in here this morning and so here, here's what God said I, I, I didn't just hear the words but I've heard and I've processed and I've received and now I'm about to show up and do something and respond here and so God shows up and he shows mercy to this to this man this this faithful couple and promises them a son but not just any son I mean, I'm sure that would have been enough for Zachariah and Elizabeth, like a son, boom. But the angel doesn't stop there. He said, I'm not going to, God's not going to just give you any son. And then he goes on to describe exactly the, who the son, the, the type of character he'll be and the mission God has ordained for him. He will bring joy to them, not just merely because of his existence, but because of his mission and the plans that God has for him in this world. It's interesting that the, the name John means God is gracious. God is gracious. And, and so every time now uh, Elizabeth and Zechariah would, 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 would recite or rehearse the name John, they would be it would serve as a constant reminder that the, our gracious God has showed up and shown us mercy. He, he, he's looked at us in our miserable state. Our, our miserable state of being childless and, and, and Elizabeth being barren and all the stigma that comes around that. But now he has been gracious to us through this act of mercy. And I love this picture of Elizabeth and, and, and Zachariah. In the midst of their, their, their suffering, in the midst of their, uh, their shame or, or disgrace, they continue to live right before God, honoring him despite their circumstances. And God shows up and removes the shame and disgrace caused by their circumstances. God showed mercy to this individual, this individual family. And, and 
what an encouragement because again i i'd imagine at this stage in their marriage in their life they'd stop praying for it after, and some of us can relate to that you've been praying for something so long and been waiting on god to, to show up and do something so you just i guess it's just not going to happen and, and, and so what an encouragement for, for those of us who either remain petitioning to God, who, who, keep, who, who persist and, and keep seeking and keep asking and keep knocking. What an encouragement for us um, who are waiting on God for certain things. And, and even for those of us who stop praying, who, who you, maybe you prayed for that thing for years and you've given up praying about it. What an encouragement that even in the midst of your silence, God still hears. That's good. Even in the midst of our silence, the stuff we don't even utter, the things that we've now packed away in the recesses of our minds and hearts, God still hears. What feels like denial may actually be delayed. This, 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 this incredible experience that Zachariah and Elizabeth has uh, it, it echoes something that the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 3 and 20, where, where Paul, or 3, 20, 21, around those, it says, well, God is able to do exceeding and abundantly above all that we ask or think, even when we may have stopped asking. What's the, where's the exceeding and abundant? And, and abundant? Well, because God just didn't give them a son. He gave them John the Baptist. The forerunner, the one who was who was going to be called to bring Israel back to a state of repentance, the one who was going to usher in the Messiah, God's prophet. So what I find doubly encouraging uh, uh, in the midst of everything that God is up to in the world, remember, Luke is writing this gospel about Jesus Christ. This gospel, the main character in the gospel of Luke, the main character in all the gospels is Jesus Christ and what God is do has done in the world through him. But in the midst of what God is doing in the world, he shows up for Zechariah and Elizabeth to bring about blessing, to show his mercy. So take courage this morning. And many of you probably know this is a, uh, uh, an encouragement. I'm preaching to myself this morning. This is an, an encouragement to me that God has not forgotten you. God still answers prayer. And just like we learned in, in Mary's story last week, that there is nothing impossible with God. God's mercies demonstrated to this individual family, but not only to this individual family. The second fill in the blank is this, that God's mercy is demonstrated to an entire nation. Not only is this family impacted by uh, the birth of John the Baptist, but the entire nation, the people of Israel are impacted by it. Go back to verse 16. He says, because of John, many of the people of Israel will he bring back the, the, the Greek word there is turn. He will return them back to the Lord. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah, who was a famous prophet of Israel that they would all be familiar with, to turn the hearts of their fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. The, uh, the, the birth of John was exactly what the nation of Israel needed. Someone to remind them 
that God takes sin seriously, that they needed to turn their hearts back to God, but also needed to be reminded that the Messiah is coming and the time is now. One commentator notes this, um, Gabriel's sketch of, uh, of John's vocation is fundamentally uh, theocentric. It's God-centric. John will turn Israel to its Lord. And this is a reminder that this is God's story. And at this juncture, the, 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 the solution to the priestly couple's childlessness has been caught up in the larger need of Israel for the reign of its God. God is using this individual, and he's now invited this individual family into his big picture of what he's doing in Israel. Skip down to verse 67. Um, verse 67 after John is born and they name him John and everyone celebrates, um, it's, the Bible says that Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and uttered this song or this prophecy. He says, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and redeemed his people. Talking about the people of Israel. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he said through his holy prophets long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. This was not just good news for Zechariah and Elizabeth. This was good news for Israel because it meant that God had come come to visit this people. This people who had been subjugated for hundreds and hundreds of years, displaced and, and, and subjugated by one empire after another. God had not forgotten about his people. He had now come to visit them in an act of mercy. You see, Elizabeth and Zechariah weren't the only ones who needed an answer from God, but the entire nation was in need of a move for God. The Old Testament ends with the book of Malachi. And the last chapter, the last few verses of Malachi, God tells the prophet to tell the people that in those days when God will bring about renewal, when the Messiah would come, he would send Elijah. He would send Elijah and Elijah would not just come, but he would come to turn the hearts of the uh, fathers to their children and to bring the people back into righteousness. 400 years that, that's what Malachi prophesied. And for 400 years, we don't have any other documented revelation that was, uh, that was de designed to, be, to fit in our Bible. So for 400 years, there was no word from the Lord. But the last word they heard was that Elijah is coming. And when Gabriel shows up, he tells Zechariah and Elizabeth, and he tells the nation, uh, Elijah is coming. And he's here, and he's coming in the person of John the Baptist. God had come to visit, to express his kindness toward his disgraced, miserable people. People estranged from him because of his sin. And now that they would be given an opportunity because of the life and message of John to repent and ready themselves, to get themselves ready for the Messiah's coming. And what I love about this is notice that when Zechariah speaks, he speaks as if it already happened. He, he moved from uncertainty when he first met Gabriel. He was like, wait, how can I know this is going to be true? Like this, mm. And then he has to suffer for his, his unbelief or his disbelief. 
But now he moves because of the power of the spirit. He moves to the place of certainty. Before it even happens, God, he, he says, before John even speaks his, his first words, Zechariah says, God has visited us and has redeemed us, has saved us, has rescued us. He's come to show us his mercy. He had not forgotten about his chosen people, and now the path to repentance will be made clear through the message of Zechariah's son. Israel's distress, their misery was a result of their turning away from God, which led to them suffering all these many years and now suffering under the hands of the, the Romans. But now God was coming to restore and bring about restoration and refreshment. And what a great joy for the nation of Israel to know that their collective prayers had been answered. God, who is rich in mercy, has come to make good on his promise, extending all the way back to Abraham concerning his descendants, that these, this people, this, the descendants of Abraham, would be his light, his special chosen people to bring light to the world, to bring light to the nations, to represent him in this world. So God demonstrates his mercy to an individual family, to an entire nation. And then finally, he demonstrates his mercy to the entire world. He demonstrates his mercy to the entire world. The birth of John the Baptist is good news, not just for Zachariah and Elizabeth, not just for the nation of Israel, but the birth of John the Baptist is good news for the world. Turn with me back to Luke 1 in the last uh, five verses of Zechariah's song in 176. He says, and you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. This, this offer of salvation uh, th this offer through the forgiveness of sins is not just extended to the people of Israel, but it's extended to the whole entire world. John the Apostle, uh, not John the Baptist, records this in John 3.16. And in this way, God loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whoever Jew, Gentile, male, female, black, white, Republican, Democrat, whoever would believe in him would not perish, but find, would have, possess eternal life. The Apostle John in, in John 1.14 says, to all who believed him and received his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. No longer is it exclusively for Israel, but now it's extended to whoever would receive the Messiah as Lord and Savior. Salvation is offered. The forgiveness of sin is offered. Redemption is offered through Jesus Christ. And John the Baptist was sent to go before and tell the world, the Messiah is coming. Forgiveness is here. Salvation is here. Put your trust in him. Turn back to God. And now, 2,000 years removed, John the Baptist didn't live very long. Uh, he got beheaded. 
right when Jesus's ministry uh, got kicked off, but he, he got beheaded after his mission was completed. He, he was designed to go and tell people, get ready, get ready, get ready. The Messiah's coming. And when the Messiah came, John's, his, his, his watch had ended, essentially. And he went on to be with his Lord. And Jesus, he, he, he comes on the scene and he, he lives and he dies and he's, he resurrects. And before his ascension, he, he leaves a message for the disciples. And he tells them, he says, listen, I'm going, but I'm coming back. In the meantime, you guys go make ready a people prepared for my return. And for 2,000 years, not just the apostles, but disciples of Jesus Christ, those who believed we have been called to go before the Lord, readying a people prepared for the Lord's return. We have uh, this unique opportunity all throughout the year, but especially now at Christmas time, uh, to, to, to tell people uh, to, that the Lord who came shortly after John was born is coming again, and he's coming for a people who, uh, who, uh, whose hearts are turned to the Lord in repentance, ready to receive, and who have received his, his, his salvation through the forgiveness of sin. He's coming for a people whose hearts are turned to him. Repentance and forgiveness is available now. That's the message of our, the church. That's the message of all of us who now walk in the spirit of John the Baptist. To tell people that repentance and forgiveness is available now by faith in the name of John's cousin and Lord Jesus. And that this blessing promised all the way to Abraham in Genesis 15, thousands of years before John or Jesus show up on the earth. That this blessing of Abraham was not limited just to his descendants by blood, but was to be channeled to and through the, the nation of Israel to the Gentiles and, and for us throughout the entire known world to be the, this, this message of forgiveness, this message that you need to repent and, and receive Jesus, that you too might become sons and daughters of Abraham by faith. None of us will have the unique ministry that John the Baptist had as the forerunner, the Elijah that was to come before the Messiah but we've all been called to walk in the spirit of, uh, uh, of John the Baptist, readying people for the return of the Lord. Those who have already received the message, those who have yet to hear the message, to let them know that God has visited his people. He has visited his creation. This creation riddled and racked and wrecked by sin by hate, by malice, by evil, by envy, by lust, by injustice, by oppression. God has come to visit his miserable creation. And in his mercy, he's extended his hand in his desire to renew and restore all things through the person of Jesus Christ. And we're called now, just like John, to point people to him to point people to the one who's come to make all things new. The Bible is, and in conclusion, the, the Bible is, is, is full of stories of God's mercy. And I think it's important for us to pause and see these themes as we read the Bible. God is in the business of showing up 
and visiting his people when they need him most. We see that in practical answers to prayer like, I want a child. But also concerning our spiritual well-being and the state of our souls, God is not content to just leave his creation the way it was. But in Jesus, through Jesus, he has come to bring restoration. In this Christmas season, despite all of the pageantry we see, it's a dark time for a lot of people for various reasons. Many are in misery. And could it be, could it be that God has providentially called our number and said, I've placed you right where you are for such a time of this as this, to be agents, to be channels of my mercy, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So the closing challenge is our last full event. This season, I challenge all of us to take the time to rejoice in the ways, well, let me say this sentence before us, to rejoice in and proclaim the mercy of God. Take time to rejoice in and proclaim the mercy of God. Rejoice in the ways God has showed up and shown you mercy in your individual lives. To rejoice the fact that he, he has heard your prayers, he's responded. Rejoice in the fact that the there's, there's still a possibility of long ago prayed prayers of still being answered, that God is still in the mercy business. God is still in the miracle working business. He's still the one who makes ways out of no way, but also proclaim the mercy of God to all who would hear. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this reminder of your mercy, for the, for the reality that you show kindness to us, that you show up and you, as Angela used to say, you show up and you show out, blowing our minds with your, how great and how powerful and how awesome you are, that you're motivated by your kindness and your compassion to, to see about us and to enter into and intervene in our lives in such incredible ways like you did for Zachariah and Elizabeth. And God, I pray for, for those who, who might uh, be where Elizabeth and Zachariah were. God, I pray that you would show up in incredible ways. And maybe there, there, there are people who aren't necessarily waiting for a child, but they're waiting for something. They're waiting for that miracle. They're waiting for that impossibility to become possible and real. God, would you, in your mercy, do it again. Do it again, Lord. And God, help us as we wait to continue to show up and live for you, to be faithful in what you've called us to, to the people you've called us to, because you're worthy of that. You're deserving of our dedication in our lives. Thank you for being so awesome and so great. Thank you for being so merciful. In Jesus' name, amen.